So Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is where we're at, the first psalm. And I'm going to read that. So would you go ahead and stand with me, and I'll read the first psalm, and then we'll look at it together. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Father, we ask you to give us the teaching and the ministry, the prompting, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Father, we desperately want to be blessed. We desperately want to be satisfied and fortunate, fulfilled, happy. So God, I pray that you would give us a delight in the truth of who you are and what you've done and what you will do. Father, please speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now you would think if, um, if, if we were all really serious about today and what we're about to do, you would think after the first phrase of, of this passage, blessed is the man who, you know, what I would expect is for us to be like all of a sudden scurrying around and grabbing a piece of paper, you know, tearing the back page out of a hymnal, you know, grabbing for our pen, you know, turning our, our recorder on on our phone. Because if we, if we take this seriously here, and we ought to, the Bible, which is the inspired word of God, the inspired word of the almighty creator, sustainer, reigning king of the universe, is about to tell us how to be blessed. Now, I would think we would want to know that, wouldn't you? Not would we, we already do, right? The word blessed means happy, fortunate, fulfilled, satisfied. I mean, isn't that what everybody is already angling for? I mean, show me a person who isn't acting in their life in specific ways, aiming at being happy, being satisfied, being fulfilled. I mean, everybody's already doing that, all right? You know, even though maybe you don't use the word blessed, however, this word has come back into uh, being trendy. Did you know that? So 15 years ago, you hardly ever heard the world using the word blessed. They always use things like, I want to be happy, I want to be fulfilled, I want to be satisfied, something like that. But all of a sudden, it's really come back in. You see it all the time on social media, right? Have you seen that? Like if you're on social media at all, somebody will be in Cancun and they'll, they'll be looking out over the ocean, the sun's going down and their, their feet are there in the lawn chair and they got their glass of tea and they, they take a picture of it, right? They take it because they know you're in Northwest Oklahoma where the wind's blowing 50 mile an hour, you know? Okay. So they take a picture of that and then underneath it, they put hashtag blessed, right? And if you want to know what that, 
hashtag means? I do not know. Literally, I've asked like four or five people, and it's been explained to me, and I cannot yet get a convincing explanation of what that actually means. But anyway, hashtag blessed, right? So in other words, anytime anybody has an enjoyable moment, you know, so maybe they got all their grandkids around them and, you know, everybody's at the table and they're all eating there and all the grandkids have a cookie and all the grandkids are looking up smiling. They take a picture, hashtag blessed, right? Because they had an enjoyable moment. They had an enjoyable little whatever there. And so they're, they're telling the world, you know, hey, I, this particular moment in time, I'm blessed. But here's what the reality is. Most all of those people would not say that their life as a whole is blessed. Okay, what I'm telling you is there's a world full of people who don't have what Psalm 1 is telling us we can have. Isn't it cool that the Bible's saying, hey, blessed are these people. I mean, that, that tells me we can be blessed. That, that tells me, I mean, Jesus said it, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the, the, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the peacemakers. I mean, Jesus said it over and over and over again. He, he held it out for us that, hey, you can, you can have a satisfying life. You can have a fulfilling life. You can have a happy life. There's a world full of people wanting to know that it's hardwired into us to run after that. But, but here's the reality. Most people don't have any idea about how to get it. Or they have all the wrong ideas. About how to get. If you were at Joy um, this Friday night uh, during the introduction to Joy, I, I just I just told them about the cool thing I got to do this last week. I got to speak to the to the youth of Shattuck, Oklahoma, and the topic they gave me to speak on was what What do you know now that you wish you'd have known when you were in junior high and high school? Okay, which I filled up like a whole big chief tablet of things I wished I would have known. Okay, there's like a million of them. Okay, but I only I only could speak on one, and so the one that I spoke on was I did not know how to have joy. I I did not know how to be satisfied. I did not know how to be fulfilled. I did not know that that came in Jesus. Now, now my wife was wise in pointing out that I had heard that because I had been in church and I went to a good church and my dad was saved when he was 28. I was eight. So that there was a period of my life there where I, I had heard the gospel. I'd heard those things, but I honestly, I did not believe it. Okay. I'm courageous enough to say that I did not believe it. I believe what my friends were telling me. I believe what the world was telling me. I believe what the commercials were telling me. I believed all of that. And so I, I told the kids at Shattuck, I said, let me, let me take you back to my 18th birthday. I was the type of kid that when I felt like something was going to make me happy, man, I ran full speed at it because I, I, I've always been that kind of person. I want to be happy. I want to be satisfied. And so my 18th birthday, here I am. I, I, I've, I've been on two state championship teams, one when I was a junior, one when I was a senior. And you know what? Everybody told me that would make me happy. Everybody told me that's where it was at. Everybody told me that would satisfy my soul, or at least that's what I thought they were saying. I, 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 in my 18th year, I, I'd already given a promise ring, which I really don't know what in the world that even meant back then. But anyway, I'd done it. I'd given a promise ring to the prettiest girl in the high school in Malong, you know, and... and I had a great job, a part-time job that really no, no high school kid should have. I made way more money than, than, than I needed to make at my job that I worked every weekend, every night at. I, had, I bought the newest car that I've ever bought in my life. Isn't that funny? You buy, you buy it when you're, I'll never buy as new a one as I bought that year, you know? And, and, and almost had it paid off by the time I was a senior. And here's what, I'm not sure if the kid's, believed, but I tried to press it home because I'm speaking with full honesty. I was more miserable than I've ever been in my life. 
I was more miserable than I'd ever been. And I was more miserable in that season, my senior year of high school, I was more miserable than I've ever been since. No matter the trials I've gone through, no matter the disappointments, no matter the hardships, I was more miserable at that point in my life. And the reason was I was convinced that those things would make me happy, that those things would satisfy my soul. And they did not. They did not. And, and the reason is that's not where joy is. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who... Now, <laughs> you thought I was going to get into it. Not yet. Who... Do you notice he does not talk about circumstances? Okay, now that we we all thought in our hearts he would, didn't we? Like like you thought we you think he would say, "Blessed is the man who has good health all their life," or "Blessed is the man who um, their job goes exactly the way they want it to go." Blessed is the man whose business takes off and they have this skyrocketing income for the rest of their life. Or blessed is the man who's who has a family and their children are all obedient and do exactly what we tell them to do, and they turn out to be really productive adults and they have grandchildren and bring them back at the appropriate times. We get to play with them, right? Like that, like we would think that's what he would say. Because there's a lot of people who are convinced that the right circumstances, right? If just my financial life would work out, and if just my health would, would be good, and if just my family would all love each other and come together and, and be productive and nobody have any problems and everybody's circumstances would be good, if just that, then I would be satisfied. No. Do you notice that he does not say, find something to enjoy. So I have, I have literally heard this over and over uh, in, in our culture, okay? So this can be familiar to you, I bet. He doesn't say, figure out what you enjoy and then find a way to, to do that. Find a way to live there. Find a way to live that. that that's exactly what our, you know, if, if, if you read whatever the magazines are today, that's exactly what it's going to tell you. It's going to say, how to be happy? Well, you, you just got to figure out what you enjoy. If you enjoy restoring old cars, then you know what you need to do? You need to figure out a way to manage your job and to make enough money where you can spend a large portion of your life restoring old cars. In fact, you need to find out where in the United States do they most restore old cars. Where are the most car shows in the United States? And you need to pack up and sell your house and get a good price for it and move there and buy, buy a good price. And so, so you can spend your life restoring old cars because then you'll be happy, Right? Or if you like to garden, maybe maybe this summer you were out picking cucumbers and you just had this feeling of, this is so cool. You had your gardening hat on, your little gloves, and your cucumbers were bigger than your neighbors. And you're like, I am so good at this, you know. And so so what do I want to do? Well, I, I got I to gotta revolve my life around gardening, you know. I got to figure out how I can work less and garden more. I got to figure out how I can buy some more property down the outside of town and build a fence around it, have a little gazebo, string in wireless internet, you know, have a big screen TV, and I can sit out there with my iced tea, and I can watch my tomatoes grow, and then I will be happy. Maybe you'd like to travel. To get, what's the world say? Well, enjoy, find out what you enjoy and then figure out a way where you can work less and, and travel more and get away and take pictures and go over the world and, and put hashtag blessed, you know, and you can, you can figure all that out. The Bible does not say that. It doesn't talk about your circumstances and it does not talk about the things that you enjoy. There's a difference between joy and enjoy. Hitler, interesting fact, I've been reading Killing Patton. Right now, where I'm at in the book, Hitler's down in his bunker. They've lost. The Russians, the Americans, the the English, they're all closing in. He really enjoyed painting. Did you know? He's kind of a Renaissance guy. He really enjoyed painting. 
there in the last months of the war, he had a lot of time to paint. I mean, there, you know, there wasn't much to do. Uh, and he's like four stories down in a bunker. Man, he could have painted, you know, all day long if he wanted to. I mean, he's Hitler. He can do whatever he wants. Someone criticizes him, he just kills him, you know? He wasn't happy. He was having him pump him full of methamphetamines every day. Why? It's not where it's at. So, it doesn't say circumstances. It doesn't say find out what you enjoy. What the Bible does say is that we are to live in a certain way toward God and His truth, and the overflow of that will be happiness. Do, do you see the subtle difference there? Do you see that? Like, like the, the, the world says, okay, figure out something that you kind of like to do, and then jump into it, and that will bring a satisfying life. Okay, the Bible says, no, 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 no. Be a certain kind of person toward God, toward His truth, Okay? That's the big thing. And then the overflow of that will be a blessed life. And so, what kind of person should we be? Tim Keller said, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you get neither. That's, that's a cool quote. So what, what does he say to do? Okay, finally, we're here. All right, ready? Blessed is the man who, let's finish the sentence. First thing he says is what not to do. Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffer. One of the interesting things about Psalm 1, and you're going to see this in some of the other Psalms as well, is he's really cut and dry about what, what camp you're in, okay? So in Psalm 1, have you noticed there are how many categories of people? Two, right? There's the righteous and there's the wicked. Right? There's the righteous, there's the ungodly. There, you, you got two camps of people. All right? Now, I, I know we desperately want there to be a third camp, don't we? Our, our world says, well, I'm not wicked, and I'm, but I'm not really righteous either. I'm, I'm in the third camp of the good old boy, good neighbor. Uh, I believe in God, but I'm not real religious. don't believe in the organized church camp, right? There is no such camp. You're, you're either righteous or you're wicked. And if you're righteous, you know why you're righteous? Because you're connected to God in a covenant relationship. That's why. It's not your deeds. It's because you're connected to God in a relationship through his son, Jesus. Okay? Now, in the same way, notice the contrast between how to be blessed. Okay? So if I can, I can give it away a little bit. If you look at verse 2, his delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Okay? So, so according to the psalmist, you're blessed because you either are righteous and you listen to the word, or you are wicked, and you listen to the world. Now, once again, we want there to be a third category, right? Because I think if I walked around and asked people, hey, do you immerse yourself in the word of God so that your decisions, your will, and what you love flow from the word? I think there would be a lot of people who would say, well, no, I'm not very good at that. And then my next response would be, so, according to the Bible, you live your life according to the world. Whoa, 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 right? That's when we start, wait, no, no, I did not. No, 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 I don't live my life. Actually, you do, okay? There's only two choices here. You're, you're, you're either walking according to the counsel of the wicked or you're delighting in the law of God. Those are the only two choices the psalmist gives us. So, so you either listen to the word or you listen to the world. You either follow the word or you follow the world. But there is absolutely no middle ground. Okay, And so if you see yourself this morning as doing neither of those, you're just comforting yourself. That's all you're doing. 
You're actually, if you see yourself as doing neither, you're doing, you're doing the one. You're doing the world. You're living, your values, you're loving according to the world. Because that, that, those are the only two choices we're given. There is no middle ground. And let me boil down Satan's strategy, okay? Satan's strategy, we, we learned this from John 10, is to steal, kill, and destroy you and your family. That's his strategy, okay? He's really good at it, too. He, he's actually got a pretty good success rate, okay? He will steal, he will kill, and he will destroy forever, eternally, you and your family. That's what he's aiming to do. Now, how does he do that? What's his strategy? It's actually not very complicated. One word, lies. That's, that's how he does it. One word, lies, okay? He doesn't make you do things, okay? He doesn't twist your arm behind your back and, and, and force you into something. He, do, he does not, okay? He, he simply lies, and he's incredibly good at it. John 8, 44. You're of your father the devil. He's talking to the Pharisees. And your will is to do your father's desires. He's a murderer from the beginning. He has nothing to do with the truth. Do you hear that? He has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he's a liar. And the father of lies. Isn't that interesting? He's a liar and the father of lies. He has no truth in him. Whatever he does, he does out of lies. Okay, now Ephesians goes even further. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 22 talks about um, our, our battle with the flesh. Okay, and it says to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. You know what a deceitful desire is? It's a desire that lies to you. That's what we struggle with. We all struggle with. We have these desires. We have these desires, these things we want, but they're lies. Okay, they're, 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 they lie to us. And so this, in essence, is where the battle is. It is, is the battle is that Satan is lying to us, and the world is telling us all kinds of things that are not true, mainly about happiness. I would say that most of the lies that you get told are about that. They're about what is it, how, how does a person be happy? How do you be fulfilled? How do you be satisfied? How do you, live a, how do you live a good life? What is the good life? I mean, most of the lies of the devil center around that. And so he pitches us these desires, and, and we're like, oh, that's going to work. That's going to work. I'm going to be happy if I just do that. But it's a lie. It's deceitful. Okay? Adam and Eve, think about them. They plunged the human race into ruin and destruction because they listened to the wrong source about how to be blessed. That's essentially what happened in Genesis 3. God had told them, hey, I made all this for you. It's all good. Here, here you go. And what did the devil say? Oh, no, 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 no. That, that's, that's not right. If you really want life, you really want to be like God, here's what you got to do. And and it's interesting because immediately as she buys the lie, if you read that passage in verse 6, after she buys the lie, she looks at that tree and it looks incredibly tasty. And she says that. She's like, oh, this is good for food. This is how I will make one wise. This is delightful to the eyes. I mean, all of a sudden, she, once you buy the lie and you look over and you're, you're convinced this, this is right. And I tell you that because I think there's a lot of people that think, I, you, you think to yourself, I would know if I'm following the world. Would you? Would you? you? You think you're smarter than the other millions of people on the planet? That you're just automatically going to know? You're not automatically going to know. Because once you buy the lie, you're convinced. I can't tell you how many passages of the Bible have to deal with this area right here. Are you listening to the word? Are you listening to the world? 
Okay, that, that's everywhere in the scriptures. It's so prominent that I was thinking the other day, and, and I did not do this intentionally, but I was thinking the other day about the verses that I have my kids memorize on the way to school. We've got this kind of set that we just go over on the way to school. And, and I started thinking, how many of them are about who they listen to? There's a majority of them. Like if there's any one topic that they're about, it's about that. I didn't do that intentionally, but that, I think that's on my mind. It's, it's on my mind when I pray for my kids. When I, when I pray for my kids, it's always on my mind. And, and, and so I'll pray. This prayer comes up over and over again, almost every day. From God, give them good friendships. Give them godly, disciple-making friendships. And then after my first two girls went through high school, I started changing my prayer. I said, God, give them godly, good friendships. And Lord, enable them to stand alone if need be. In other words, there may be a time where you don't have friends. And that's okay. No friends better than bad friends. Proverbs thirteen twenty, He who walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Man, I have just drilled that at my kids. What's one thing you, you wish you knew when you were at junior high? That right there. That was on my list, by the way. That was in the top three. In fact, if, if there's one thing that would have beat out joys in Jesus, it would have been that. You can't get away from that. Some of the guys came to man up this summer. Man, we went through the life of David. There's so much of this in the life of David. So much of listening to the wrong voices, the wrong people. There's this tragic story in 2 Samuel 13 of David's son Amnon. He's got a crush on his stepsister, which I know that sounds really bad to us, and it is bad, but it's probably not as bad as it actually sounds to us because when you factor in how many wives David had, I mean, there's a whole village, right, of people, you know, and so some of these people are not very close in, I guess, relation to him. So anyway, he's got a crush on his stepsister Tamar, but he, he shouldn't, and he, and, and he needs someone just to tell him, hey, man, that's a deceitful desire. That's a lying desire. That will not fulfill your soul. But he didn't have anybody like that. Instead, you know who he's got? The wrong kind of friends. Verse 3 of 13 says, But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimei, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very crafty man. And he said to him, O son of the king, why are you so haggard morning after morning? Amnon, why why are you moping around? Why are you all depressed? What's wrong with you, buddy? And Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's wife. Jonadab said to him, Here, I know what you ought to do. Lie down on your bed, pretend to be ill. When your father comes, say to him, let my sister Tamar come and give me some bread to eat and prepare my food, prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat it from her hand. What's he say? He says, I know how we can arrange for you to be alone with this gal. I don't know if you know how the story goes, but he rapes her. And it's, it's really interesting. Go back and read it. After he rapes her, he is so full of despair and disgust that he can't stand to be around her. Isn't that interesting? Deceitful desire. David's family is in utter chaos from that point on. I mean, Amnon's murdered by his brother Absalom. Absalom's murdered by Joab. I mean, the thing gets bloody. All because this kid had a foolish friend. Rehoboam, remember that story? Solomon, David's son, builds the kingdom to this epic height of wealth and power, and then Rehoboam gets it all. That's everybody's dream, right? Dad builds the 
you know, billion dollar empire and then says, son, it's all yours. First day on the job, the elders come to him and say, hey, we will follow you. All of Israel will follow you. We'll be your people. You're going to be our king. But we got a couple things here. Could you could you lessen the taxes just a little bit? Your 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 dad has really been, you know, building this empire and, and we're just crushed under this weight and it would really bring refreshment to the people if you do that. And man, if you'll do that, people will be really committed to you. He's like, well, let me go check with some people. So he goes and checks with his dad's counselors, the old guys. And they're like, yeah, I think you better do that. That's a great idea. That This will be really good for your kingdom. He's like, okay. He calls in his buddies. Hey, what do you guys think? His college buddies. And they're like, you got to show them who's boss. You got to show them who's the man. You know, you go tell them that your dad whipped him with whips. You're going to whip him with scorpions. You go tell them that your dad, you know, your, your middle finger, your little finger is thicker than your dad's waist. You go tell them who's, got, who's wearing the pants. You go tell them who's got the muscle. Well, he likes that a lot. He goes and does it. Loses 10 tribes of the 12. And for the next 1,000 years, Israel's a split nation. I mean, just story after story about that. You know, and, and it really drives home this point. Who are you listening to? Man, I tell you, one of the things that I'm going to work through, if I was a small group leader, which I'm not, but if I was, one of the things that I would talk about tonight would be the exposure. It's just something I'm going to wrestle with my own self. The exposure of media in my life, okay? Now, am I silly enough to think that music and movies and the web do not influence me. I mean, I, I need to think through that. I need to think through those voices. I need to think through, you know, you know what's a great question is to ask yourself, who's speaking into your life? What people even? Is it, is it word or is it world? Only two choices. So if you've got friends and they speak into your life, do they speak word or world? Which one do they speak? Verse two. So, you don't listen to the world, verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now, very important, his delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight. Now, okay, some of you, I think, because I would be tempted to do this, when you read that, when you're like, okay, how do you be happy? Well, you delight in the law of the Lord and to meditate on it day and night. And I think some people, their hearts just sink because they're not a quiet time type of person, you know? I mean, some people are kind of geared that way. You know, if you ask some people, hey, you want to go play football, go mountain biking, or read a book? They're going to say, I'd like to sit in a nice, quiet place and read a book, right? And so when you, when, you, when you think about what he just said there, his delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night, you might think, well, I'm not that kind of person. I struggle with reading. I struggle with journaling. I struggle with memorizing. You know, I'm just not, so that means I can't ever be happy. It does not say who delights in a quiet time. You see what it says? It says who delights in the law of the Lord. You know what the law of the Lord is? The truths of God's word. So this is not a delight in your quiet time, though your quiet time is a way that you get the, get the law, get the truth. Okay, this is a delight in the actual truths of God's word in who God is and what he's done and what he said. And oh man, the Bible baits you about how valuable this is. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13. Blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. F- 
for the gain from her. I like gain. The gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She's more precious than jewels. Nothing you desire can compare with her. What the Bible just told you is that wisdom, God's truth, knowing who God is, knowing what he's done, knowing what he's promised, believing and delighting in that has a better gain. There's, there's more that comes from that than if you had a chest full of gold, silver, and precious stones to spend on whatever you wanted. It's better. Psalm 119 is a great psalm to go that just tells us about loving God's word. Verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to the word. What, what, what's the fruit that comes from the word of God? Man, a young guy in the prime of life can actually find his way to purity through the word of God. Verse 11, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. A person can not fall into sin through Loving and delighting in the word of God. 133, Psalm 119, 133. Keep steady my steps according to your promise. Let no iniquity have dominion over me. You know what dominion is? It's when you're enslaved to something. How many people in this world, your neighbors, are enslaved to sin? They cannot get out of it. You know the way out of it? The word of God. Delighting in what God says and not what the world says. 165, Psalm 119, 165. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. And so my delight is not primarily in in sitting down and getting to read my Bible. That's not what it's saying. Okay, I just want to encourage you. Because I think there's some people that that just, they're not wired that way. But the delight is in the truths of the Bible. Now you got to sit down and read them at some point or hear them or listen to them or some, some way to get them in, okay? But what I'm saying is, what he's saying is, the delight is not so much in having a quiet time where I get to sit down and read Romans 6. You know what the delight is? The delight is that in Romans 6, it tells me that if I'm a born-again believer, I am tethered to Jesus Christ forever and ever. You know what tethered means? Chained, joined in a union, a forever union. Romans 6 tells me the old me is crucified, done away with, gone. The new me is raised up. I'm joined to Jesus forever and ever, one with himself. I cannot die. I'm excited. I delight in that. Like, do you delight in that? Man, I... I mean, that, that I can't die. If I go out and get on my motorcycle and drive down the street, this might happen and get hit and die and that's it. I'm not really dead, okay? I, if you come to my funeral, I want you to know I'm not gone. I am with Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth in fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. That's where I'm at. I can't die. I delight in that. I mean, like, I like that. That's a good thing. My delight is not in a quiet time where I sit down and read Genesis 12, the story of Abraham's call. You know what my delight is? My delight is, as I dig into Genesis 12, I find a God who is a promise-making, promise-keeping God who is faithful no matter what happens to his commitments made to his people so that he never, ever, ever fails those who trust his word. That revs me up. I delight in that. I don't delight in the discipline of journaling through Ephesians 5. You know what I delight in? I delight in this picture that my marriage is really not about him and I. It's really about me and Jesus. It's really about Christ and the church. And and in Ephesians 5 it says, The man who loves his wife as Christ loves the church. 
loves himself. I get excited about that, especially when Emma's being difficult, you know? I'm excited, like, like really, like that. That excites me. I delight in that promise. You, you need to delight in the law of the Lord. Listen, if, if you've got a religion here this morning, your whole faith thing is gutted out. It's like you've got to put in your time. You've got you to just go and, you know, bear it. You'd really rather be watching some home restoration show or, you know, you'd rather be scrapbooking or you'd rather be gardening or you'd rather be doing anything else, but you know that this is the right thing to do. Listen, I don't want you to gut it out. I, I want you to love the truth of who God is and what he's done. That's absolutely crucial. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Listen, you can't have faith unless you believe that God's a rewarder. You can't have faith unless you believe that God is a treasure. You can't have faith unless you, you're convinced. You're convinced he's worth it. That's, that's, you delight in his word. And listen, if you don't delight in him, first of all, that says something about what you think of him. It says something about how confident you are in what he said. But, but thirdly, you are not going to study and immerse and live out the Word of God unless you delight in it. This is not going to happen. You're, you're not going to put skin on the Word of God in your life unless you delight in it. So you need to delight in it. Now when you delight in it, you know what happens? Verse 2, let's keep going. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law, on his law, he meditates day and night. Now, the word meditate means to mutter to yourself. That's what it means in Hebrew. It means to groan, mutter. Um, man, Paula does this all the time. Sorry, Paula. You know, I'll tell, I, tell, I remind her, she's like talking to herself. She'll be in there, and she's like, you know, like, Paula, you're talking to yourself. Oh, okay. You know, but you, you know what I see a lot of people do it? When they're mad. People mutter when they're mad. You, you know that? You know, you ever, you ever like, someone gets real ticked and as they're walking off, they're muttering, you know, I, you know they're, they're like running it over in their head, you know? They're like, I can't believe they said that, you know? Okay, now that, that's actually a pretty good picture of meditation other than not, you're not meditating on what the person did to hurt you and how bad your circumstances are and how ticked off you are and everything. No, you're, you're meditating on the law of the Lord. And someone told me one time, I've told the other two services, I don't even know if this is true. I just took their word for it. I've been using it for 25 years. But, but they told me that the Latin word for meditate is the same word for a cow chewing his cud. It's where we get the word for cow chewing his cud. And, and I just snatched onto that. That makes so much sense to me, you know, because it's like you, you chew on it, you chew on it, you chew on it, you swallow it, you know, and then you're like, got to do some more, you know. You know, and you chew on it, you chew on it, you chew on it, you swallow it. You know, it's just, that's, that's what it is to meditate. I mean, that makes really good sense. Like not, you're not actually throwing up anything, but you're bringing the word of God back up and you're chewing on it and, and you're, you're praying it. One of the things I'm going to challenge you to do, pray the scriptures. My prayers have forever been changed since the first time I preached through Ephesians. Because when I read Ephesians 1 and I saw Paul praying for his friends and as he prayed for them, he says, God, open their eyes and lighten their eyes that they might know the hope of their calling, the power that rests in them. And man, I started praying that. And I still, to this day, I pray, God, open their eyes. Let them see your power. Let them see your riches. Let them see your glory. I mean, that, that's what ought to happen. It becomes a part of you. You, 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 you internalize the word of God. It's, it's the picture of the tree. Okay, go to verse three. So the guy that delights in the law of the Lord 
and on his line, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in a season. Its leaf does not wither, and whatever it does, he prospers. Now, I, I, don't, I don't know the science behind this. I did Google. This is as far as I went. I Googled uh, what a person who studies trees is called, a dendrologist. So there you go, fun fact of the day, okay? So, but this guy would know how this works, but I, I know in general how it works, okay? In general, here's how it works. A tree sinks its roots down, and it gets moisture, right? And it brings moisture up into the tree, into the trunk, okay? It brings that moisture up, and then where does the moisture go? Does it just, like, flow out of the leaves? No. There's a transformation that takes place inside that tree, and the nutrients and the moisture, you know what they do? They produce fruit. True? An apple. I mean, if it's an apple tree. Or an orange, if it's an orange. Whatever. Right? Okay. Same picture. Okay? So, so here's what happens. When you take in the truth of the scriptures and you meditate on it, you chew on it, you pray it up to the Father, you, you, you think about what it means. You appropriate it according to obedience in your heart. You begin to love what God loves and you begin to take him at his word and you begin to do that process. And you know what happens in there? It comes out of you in fruit. In fruit. And so let's say you're chewing on a passage about God's glory and his strength and how he's faithful and how he won't let you down and how he's given you the riches of Christ. How's that gonna come out of you? If you as you're chewing on that, it's gonna come out of you in Less anxiety. It's going to come out of you and being able to forgive people. Why forgive people? Because you're like, man, my God is strong. He is faithful. He won't let me down. He's taking care of me. I can forgive you. It's going to come out in fruit. In the 830 service, Michelle sang uh, a song on uh, Psalm 121. And she read Psalm 121 before. And man, I was, I was reminded a year ago, we had just gotten our little guy, Colt. And... Uh, I was fixing to leave on a three-week mission trip. It was going to be really hard, and I knew we were going into dangerous territory. And I started thinking, man, he may not be there when I get back. Like, this may be our little window to have him, and I'm going to miss it. And I started thinking about putting my, all that on my wife and her, her having all that responsibility on her own, and what if we had to go to court? And what if, and I'm not going to be there. I'm going to be on the other side of the world. I can't get home. I mean, I, I don't get bummed very often, but I was bummed. And so on the flight from Houston to Frankfurt, I memorized Psalm 121, you know, just over and over and over again. And from whence does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. The Lord will keep me. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The Lord will keep you from all evil. The Lord is your keeper. Just over and over. By the time I got to Frankfurt and got off the plane, I was ready to go. I was confident that God, no matter what would happen, I did not know what would happen, but I was confident that God was in control. They would take care of my wife. They would take care of this little boy. He would take care of us. And it was time to go about the mission. That, that, that's what happened. Grab that moisture, that nutrients from the Word of God. But you got to grapple, wrestled, prayed. How many times did I pray that from Houston to Frankfurt? I don't know, 100 at least praying that, claiming it, believing it, and then comes out in fruit. You know, trees are pretty amazing things. Have you ever seen one growing out of the side of a granite cliff? Have you ever seen those? You're like, how is that? 
But but here's the deal. Nobody ever plants their apple orchard on the side of a granite cliff. You know why? You might get them to live, but they're not going to bear very much. That's maybe a picture of some Christians. They're, they're alive, but they're not producing much fruit. You know why? Because they're not delighting in the law of God. They're not meditating upon it day and night. And so they're not planted by streams of water. Where are the trees in northwest Oklahoma, the majority of them? Have you noticed that? Where's the biggest concentration of trees? Anywhere there's a little water, right? Anywhere there's a creek. Colt and I were hiking the other day, and you know, we're hiking up on the top of the hills. There's not much cover. We get down, it gets thick down by the stream. There, there's a reason for that. They're, they're sinking their roots into the nutrients. Notice it says, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. You, you know, just because you're a person who delights in the Lord does not mean you'll never have hard times. You will. You'll have seasons of drought and harsh winds and storms. But, but the thing is, you always got somewhere to sink your roots. And you'll bear your fruit in its season. Do you, do you notice in its season? I, I'm, I'm really afraid that some people will take this because I think there's people that really want to be happy here. And I'm afraid you'll, you'll go out to your car and you'll start it up so you can stay cool. And you'll open up your Bible and you'll read a couple verses and you'll pray them back to the Lord. And you'll try to believe them and try to grab hold of them, meditate and delight on them. And then you'll close your Bible and you'll be really disappointed because you're like, I don't feel happy, you know. And you thought it would like come right away. Listen. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Okay, so, so the opposite of this is the next verse. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff. Okay, so the contrast is between the longevity and the fruitfulness of a tree planted by streams of water and the longevity of chaff. You know what chaff is, right? Stuff coming out the back of the combine. Ah, oh, I hate that stuff. You know, when you go to clean out the combine, I mean, you, you just, oh, when we go out in the mornings just to fuel it up, well, you got to open the door to pull the ladder down. And the way I do it is I open it, pull it, and I run, you know, because the chaff just goes everywhere. It just, it's not rooted. It just psh, psh, blows all around. Okay, it's, it's the opposite of the tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruitfulness over a lifetime. For the kids in Shattuck, I, I drew a chart. Okay, a chart. And I had joy going up this way, like your level of joy. And then I had the duration of your life. And what I wanted to show them is that the Bible says in Galatians 6 that when you sow to your spirit, to the spirit, the word of God, you reap eternal life, duration. When you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption, better to worse. And so I, I gave him some examples, sexual morality. I gave him the example of adultery. I said, all right, on this chart, so, person commits adultery. Is there a spike here in joy? Probably. I don't, I don't, actually, joy would be a wrong word for that. Exhilaration, excitement, maybe? Okay? Yeah, sure. Okay? But then, if they're a believer, Psalm 32 says their spiritual life's going to tank. Psalm 32 is really clear about that. They can't live that way. They're going to be in misery in their spirit. And then what happens to their marriage? Okay? Let me, let me tell you, the day that they go to court and, and the realization sets in that their family will no longer be into the same house and they no longer get to be with their kids on a full-time basis, that will not be a joy-giving experience. 
as they go on and battle the conflict of a broken relationship and the trials of a new one. You see what I'm saying? Man, apply that to anything. Try that, apply that to drugs. Is there an exhilaration? Why, yes. Why, why, people, why do you think people do it? Yeah. An exhilaration that does not sustain. It's chaff. <sighs> Blows away. And then there's this depth of despair for the duration of life. Do you want to be a tree or do you want to be chaff? Listen. I wish we had time for this, but the psalmist, I'll just read it. Verse 5, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. When he says the Lord knows the way of the righteous, he's, he's not saying God knows facts about their life. He does. But that's not the way that word know is used. The, that, that word is used as a covenant relationship. In other words, the Lord is connected to the righteous. He knows them. You remember in Matthew 7 when uh, Jesus takes us to the judgment day? And he says, there's going to be a lot of people at the judgment day. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hell? No, Lord, I was in Sunday school. Lord, I, I came to church. Lord, I, I helped with the children's ministry. And he's going to say, depart from me. I, remember, never knew you. I never knew you. The psalmist is saying the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. I want to be happy. I hope you do. I think you do. This is the way. This is the way. Delight yourself in the Word of God. There's plenty to delight in. There's plenty good. Meditate on it day and night. What does that mean? We're going to be, we're going to be talking a lot about meditation through this series. A lot about this chewing it up and putting skin on it, and letting it come out in our life and bear fruit. Be a tree planted by streams of water. Father, I pray for these folks. God, I pray for myself. I pray, Lord, that we would be like this tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. The leaf doesn't wither. Prosperity. Father, we pray for that kind of fruitfulness. We pray, Father, that you would Give us a delight. Give us a love. Give us a joy. Give us a, just an excitement about your word, about your truth, about who you are and what you've done. God, I pray, help us not to listen to the wrong voices. God, help us not to listen to the world. It's so, so appealing, God. It's so attractive. It's so convincing. God, give us grace to, to be people of the word, not people of the world. In Jesus' name.